It is August 21st, 2009. Welcome to episode 16 of Digital Photography Life. I'm Scott Sherman. And I'm Michael Stein. And we fumfered that beginning a couple of times. I'm glad we got through it because today we have a bunch of new camera gear, new cameras themselves to talk about. And we're also going to give our tips for how to take better pictures on a sunny day. But first, the theme music. See, all of our listeners um, regret the fact that we weren't on air for a couple of months because they missed us. I regret it because I've completely forgotten how to talk. Yeah, well, you're learning. We can't. I can't tell people how many times I managed to screw up the words August 21st. It's really very <laughs> hard know. words. We have to do this many times. Welcome to Digital Photography Life. But welcome to Digital Photography Life. Thank you all to listening. Thank you to our sponsors, SmugMug, which offers our listeners 50% off their first year of outstanding service, as well as a free camera strap. And thanks also to our sponsor, LensBaby, who has a terrific offer for a free uh, add-on accessory should you purchase a LensBaby using the code that will be provided to you at the mid-show break. And everyone we know who has a LensBaby loves their LensBaby. So thank you to all of them. And thank you all for coming back. Michael, thank you for making it two shows in a row. Yes, two in a row. Keep going. Uh, normally, what we used to do is now give out all our contact information, but in our many improvements that we are instituting to the show, we're going to save all that stuff for the end, right? Yeah. It, it's not that interesting the first time, so why do we do it twice? <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, we'll spare you. So let's go into the news. And after that, uh, after the break, too, we will go into our tips. And remember, this is just our tips for how to take better pictures on a sunny day, what we've learned from experience, and what we've learned from some of the photographers with whom we've worked, right? Yes. Oh, but yes. I would be remiss to not thank everybody for the really kind emails and comments we received over on Scott's photo blog, welcoming us back to yes, the podcasting world. We're very uh, nice about our break. <laughs> almost, with us. almost universal support yeah except for the two or three people who said you left me and now i hate you and then probably some other people who were not talking to us and saying that to themselves but that's okay yes well re rejection is difficult yeah but what happens <laughs> so we one of our listeners though in addition to being happy that we're back um, in addition to being a person who used to do a lot of tweeting as a guest tweeter for us over on twitter um, had some good news. Why don't you tell everybody about it? Yeah, she wrote us, and uh, I guess on uh, Scott Kelby organized, the, and I, I guess other people organized these uh, uh, international uh, photo walk. Photo walk. And walks. that's where people take a walk and take photos. <laughs> As a group. As a group. They do it in, in clusters. So in your city, you would have a photo walk, and you would go take a walk with folks, and you take photos while you're on your walk. And for the second year in a row, uh, Landia McCafferty won her, um, her city of Portsmouth, New Hampshire. So and she, she won that, this year, Scott Kelby made a compilation of notable photos throughout the world. And Landia's photo made it to Scott Kelby's little compilation on his blog. Yes, that's very nice for her to receive that support. It kind of proves that if you listen to this show, you'll win awards. Yeah, her photo was uh, some boats, and it won Best Photo with Painting Effect. I loved Scott's uh, awards that he gave. I know. Some of them <laughs> some of them are normal, like, you know, Best Landscape, and then, then some of them are like Best Photo with Shoes in it. Oh, yeah, Best One with Floating People. <laughs> <laughs> People like there were these dancers floating in the air. There were like ten dancers all in the air at once. It was, it was anyway. It's very humorous as awards. Best photo I really liked, but couldn't tell you why. Yeah. <laughs> so we will link to that page of all of Scott's awards 
including the lovely Landia's over on scottsphotoblog.com. You can check out her winning picture. Last episode, um, we were talking about how some manufacturers seem to be, well, more, we should say, manufacturers seem to be moving towards the SD as a standard for their digital cameras, even on the DSLRs that, you know, up until a year or two ago were predominantly only accepted compact flashcards. We were conjecturing about how big these could get. The good news is that Toshiba has announced the largest SD card to date, not available yet, available next spring. It will be 64 gigabytes. Which is nice. Yeah. So at that point, it, that, that's, that's a good day's shooting, right? So like when we have laptop computers, do we need hard drives anymore? Or do we just need a couple of these cards? You know, a couple slots for SD cards. Well, uh, but <laughs> they're not SD technology, but there are a lot of laptops now, most famously the MacBook Air, that are using solid-state drives, right? Yeah. So I mean, why do you need a solid-state drive, which sounds really expensive, and just use... Uh... Or is it that these are not fast enough? Well, who knows how much they will be. They're not available, I think, until next spring. And then the worst part about it is, this is the part that kills me. I got screwed on this the first time with SD cards, is that it's a new format. It's SDXC. So your existing equipment will not be able to use this. Yes. So the so you have SD and you have the SDHC. Which, which is where I got at, messed up because I had a bunch of four. card readers that wouldn't read the HC. Same here. Right. I had to buy a whole bunch of new card readers. And now the next one is XC. I like to call them the SD ecstasy cards, actually. <laughs> SDXC, which will eventually, uh, the specification goes up to two terabytes. Right. And th those will so. cost $2 million, but you can do it. So <laughs> nice to see that the card capacity is getting up there. Won't do us good for any of our devices now, but, you know, I would guess around next year you'll see the new cameras card readers, the little slots uh, on the side of the computer uh, start to uh, incorporate the XC standards, which one would certainly hope, as far as reading goes, will be backwards compatible because you'll want to be able to use your old... Oh, I'm sure it'll be backwards compatible, but the thing is there'll be, you know, it's another way of selling, getting you to upgrade your camera as well. Right. I, I, well, I, I, I want to upgrade my camera because I want to get the new X, SDXC cards. Right. So, right. you know... Right. Well, these cameras we're buying this year are going to be so last year. <laughs> so well, they'll be so last year anywhere next year. They'll just be a little <laughs> bit. You won't be able to use a sixty-four gigabyte, but you can uh, use a thirty-two gigabyte. There are thirty-two gigabyte SD cards out, which is certainly plenty big, and that seems to be as high as the SDHC, which is the current standard, will allow. So thirty-two gigabytes you can get sixty-four. It's going to be the new technology. The next big thing. Speaking of the next big thing, on the last show, we talked about the new camera from Sony that had a very large touchscreen. And uh, that, that went off into a conversation about how when you take a picture with the touchscreen on the iPhone, it's actually not the greatest experience because it, you, you really have to press the screen, which moves the camera and results in some motion blur from the action of pressing the virtual shutter, right? Yes. So I don't know how the uh, new technology will be in the compact cameras that are coming out with touchscreens, but there is an interesting app that I found on the App Store in iTunes called Camera Genius, which does ameliorate some of the problems with taking a picture with a touchscreen uh, for 99 cents at the time of this taping. Supposedly the 99 cent price is a sale price, but it gives you a timer function for your camera. So if you set it to something like five seconds, then you can tap the screen, hold it steady for the actual shutter depress, which is nice. It, it turns the whole touchscreen into a shutter. So you don't have to hit that little shutter button, which also causes a little bit of the unsteadiness. You know, anywhere you touch will be fine. Now, isn't the touchscreen also a focusing yeah, and you lose that with this. Ah, you do lose that. You can't trade off. You can't select to focus, which, in general, you know, the the phone does seem to pretty much figure out what you want to focus on. You know, it does a pretty good job of figuring out what's in the foreground or biggest. It's probably but you are, that. but you are sacrificing. What well, could be a cool feature? The other interesting thing about it 
is the iPhone has a built-in accelerometer. That's what tells it if the iPhone is in motion so that when you go from vertical to landscape mode, the screen changes. This plugin, this app, uses the accelerometer to guarantee, well, guarantees a strong word, to increase your chances of getting a steady picture. You can set it so that when you touch the shutter, it will gather the feedback from the accelerometer and not snap the picture until you're steady. So it'll hold off. So it might seem like it's a lag, but it's actually waiting for you to slow down. Right. So if you're very nervous, it'll never take the picture. <laughs> but it will if, you know, you're trying to hold it steady and uh, want to have the shutter go off at your most stable, it will wait for the phone to stop moving. And that's, that's very clever. So, so it may not work very well for a panning shot. Or an action shot where you have to get it yeah. at that moment, right? Yeah. But when you have some more time, it will. It should be helpful. I haven't played with it yet because I haven't been willing to spend the 99 cents. <laughs> oh, ooh. And the reviews of it are all over the map. It seems to have an equal number of five-star reviews and one-star reviews on iTunes. Well, I think it's one of those things where you're either going to like the features or you're not. Right. You know, and it's not necessarily for everybody, and it's not for every shooting situation. Right. So it's one of those things you have to know when you want your select to focus versus you want your steady shot. Right. I mean, one of the bad reviews on iTunes said, you know, what a stupid thing this is. I press the shutter and nothing happens for two minutes. Now, that they're, what they're, the person is talking about is they're enabling this feature of, you know, not taking the picture until you're steady, but probably hasn't read the documentation, doesn't understand what's happening, and he can't figure out why the picture is not being taken. So I feel bad for app. Uh, developers, because they're subject to, you know, the lack of knowledge, let's say, of their audience. So people write critical reviews like that because they didn't read the manual, so to speak, but happens all the time. Well, this is, sounds like it's a real photographer's app. So hopefully the people, their audience will be, you know, know what they're doing. Yeah. So for 99 cents, if you have an iPhone, you might want to check it out. It's camera genius. And it'll be on the show notes too. And for those of you who think we talk too much about the iPhone as a camera, and uh, certainly the photography purists out there, you know, consider it a toy. And it's, it's not a high quality camera, but did you see what is almost the number one camera that is being used judging by photos submitted to Flickr? It's uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, it's the well, the iPhone has is number two in terms of most popular phone. No, most no, it is. Oh, number I'm sorry, not, sorry, most popular camera. Thank you to, uh, of the, of uploading photos to Flickr. Thank you. And number one is the Canon EOS Digital Rebel XTI, and uh, it's and it it seems like just looking at this graph, which you'll see in the link, that you can see the iPhone just skyrocketing up, mm -hmm. and and the. Uh, the Canon is heading down. Yes. Of course, really, the Canon is one, to be fair, the Canon is one camera, and the iPhone actually is three different models of iPhone, I believe. It is, so it, but, it, it, you know. It's including all of them together. Right. Um, but it, the point is that, you know, the phone you have with you, I mean, not the phone, but the camera that you have with you is the one, what do they say, the <laughs> expression? The, 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 the best the camera best is one that you have with you. Thank you. <laughs> and then so you have the, the, you know, everyone has a camera. It's not necessarily always an iPhone, but people have uh, phones and wherever they go, and therefore they almost have a camera now. Because I think looking at that list of the top five cameras, uh, the first one's a digital Rebel, then the iPhone, then another digital Rebel, then the Nikon D80, then another Canon. The interesting thing also, Michael, is they're all DSLRs except for the iPhone. Yeah. So kind of interesting that that Flickr audience are the people who are using the DSLRs, the people who are uploading the most. So they're using the very best technology out there or they're using the crappy camera in the iPhone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, exactly. People it's in the middle, they're not using uh, Flickr. Well, you've got, <laughs> yeah, you've got photographers and I guess, I guess maybe the people who – yeah, I guess the people who upload the most – are the right. people who have the, the, the fancier cameras. Right. And then the other one is the people who have the most accessible cameras. Or, or, you know, my bet is often the same person. 
has the digital rebel <laughs> and the iPhone like I do, right? Yeah. But I shoot more with the iPhone because it's the one I have with me. None of my cameras are on that list. No, and no point and shoots on that list. Whereas there's been a lot of, um, you know, development in that point and shoot space. Last show, we spoke about two very cool technologies being built into um, point and shoots, like bigger touchscreens, OLED touchscreens. We talked about um, a camera that is also a projector. Now, today, we have uh, two more point and shoots, these from Samsung, that also have some new cool technology. Do you want to talk about the CL65? Uh, sure. I mean, and this one is not, again, huge groundbreaking, but it just uh, it's interesting how you know, little point shoots have so many features, and you, when you start seeing certain ones becoming more standardized and more, uh, you know, and other ones dying out, you, you can kind of see which ones are important. Um, what's interesting about the C CL65 from Samsung is that it has Wi-Fi technology, which is nice, which is sort of, I would kind of, you know, originally it was like a high-end kind of thing, and now it's becoming a regular thing to have hi-fi, it's not hi-fi, Wi-Fi. And then it also has Bluetooth. I, I would GP. like it to have hi-fi. Hi-fi. It could be yeah. an MP3 player. Well, the, 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 the that's what the iPhone is for. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that has your, your hi-fi right in there. All right, go on. But the Wi-Fi is basically going to let you email your photos directly um, from your camera, which is pretty nice, which is what you can do with your iPhone and other like devices. Um, and I imagine you'll be able to go bring it right to your sites like Facebook and Picasa and YouTube and all that without having to go to a computer. So that's sort of a nice bit. And then the other bit is that um, I suppose when you do that, you can essentially upload things right to – Let's say, I don't know if it's Flickr or not, but let's say it was Flickr or someplace like that. You can upload it to your photo sharing site and the photo's there. Yes. And then you can just clear out your card. Yes. And you don't have to carry around a whole lot of cards with you. Right. As long as you have internet accessibility. Um, the other one is Bluetooth, which is, I don't know, you know, I don't know what you're going to really connect it to, but I suppose if you can connect, you can beam your photos to other people's phones or other compatible devices. Yeah, I'm fuzzy on why you'd want Bluetooth in a camera, too, if you have the Wi-Fi. Yeah, I, I, I mean... Know. I don't know. Maybe you could use it as a mouse, but, but I, I, like, <laughs> I, I, like, I like the third feature. And the other one is GPS, which I expect we're going to see more and more. Um, before, I think it was an Nikon P6000 had GPS built into it. it might, I don't know. It was the only one, but it was the only like, high-end one. And so now we're going to... I'm expecting we're going to see this more and more that... GPS is going to be in, in cameras. I mean, it's in phones. Right. <laughs> yeah, if they can put in the little phones, they can put in the little cameras. Yeah. And so sorting your pictures by GPS on sites like Flickr, you know, being able to search for all pictures from Cincinnati, not because they were tagged, but because it's embedded in the metadata, that's going to be very sweet. Yeah. I mean, we, like so. you say, we've seen it in other cameras, but this is coming to a less expensive point and shoot that also has Wi-Fi. Very useful. Also has Bluetooth. What the heck for? I don't know. But that they're packing all of this into one phone and one camera. Duh. You know, <laughs> it is funny, but, you know, it is true. The, a camera that has all three of these things is the iPhone. It has Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and GPS. Yeah. So here you see the convergence. Now the point and shoots are incorporating what we've seen in the phones, and it will make them more useful. And you know what? Soon we will see uploaded to sites like Flickr maybe more photos from these point and shoots that give you more and easier ways to upload them. And the other thing I just realized that, you know, Samsung is a phone maker. That's true. So it makes sense that they have these technologies. That's true. Well, look, I, you know, I predicted a year ago that eventually all point and shoots, especially the lower end point and shoots will be supplanted by cell phones that incorporate cameras. Yeah. You know, once you can get that camera into a, a better optics quality, it, yeah, it's it's going to make sense to converge the two devices. Once you have uh, good image quality, which I guess some do now, and the other thing is adding that flash. Right. Yeah, that's going to be a big deal. And optical zooms. Very few yeah. have optical zooms. That makes a difference. Okay, well, a camera, another two cameras from Samsung that are coming out with a new little technological twist are the Samsung TL. 220 and the TL225. There's differences in the two cameras, 
uh, about megapixels and size of the LCD. But what is similar is that both of the cameras have, as normal, an LCD on the back of the camera so you could frame and review your shots. Both of these two cameras are the first ones that have a second LCD that is on the front of the camera. And that one took me for a little loop. <laughs> now, I guess you could use those to display the what you're seeing to the person you're shooting because you can pipe I believe the display through both. So if I was taking your portrait, Michael, you could see how you were looking at the same time I'm shooting you. I don't yeah. know if that's better or worse. Well, it's like a mirror, so you can go, oh, I, my smile's goofy. Let me, uh, or my hair's right. out of line. I can go, oh, wow, I should fix that up. Although it's a one and a half inch LCD, so I don't know. You know, it, you'd have to be pretty close to see it. The other thing that I think it'll get a lot more play is for taking those arm's length photographs of yourself. Yeah, when the self-portraits. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, the portrait of you and your lovely partner or wife, you know, standing together in front of the Eiffel Tower. You hold that camera out at arm's length. You'll be able to see the uh, front LCD of how you're framing it, which th that's smart. I like it. Well, it's, it's, it's innovative. I don't know if it's going to be something you're going to see sticking around, but it's certainly innovative. And it can also be used to play animations and pictures. So if you're taking a picture of a one-year-old you can show an episode of Bob the Builder if you have it in the right format on your card and distract them and entertain them. <laughs> or look at the birdie. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> so it's kind of fun, interesting. You know, again, I don't know that it's going to be the most useful thing in the world, but for people who like to take a lot of photos of themselves or are often doing that arm's length business, it's, it's nice. You know, it doesn't seem... It's, it's, it's an interesting feature. Uh, who knows? We'll see if it uh, catches on. The prices, the list prices at this point for the cameras, which are going to launch in September, are $300, $350. So, you know, sort of mid to high end point and shoot prices, but, you know, not exorbitantly expensive. So if this was a feature you wanted, it's not that much more money than any other good point and shoot. Yeah. All right. Well, now, um, talking about some cameras that are not as tricky uh, Canon has also come out with some new cameras. You are interested in the their their sort of highest end, not DSLR, but highest end compact camera, the G11. What do you like about it? Well, I mean, they had they announced several cameras, and this is the one that stuck out to me. Um, what was the most interesting thing? Well, the the G you know the previous camera was the G10. And that is sort of like their high-end compact camera that has like great image quality. It's a real photographer's device. Um, you get lots of control. And so that's who the audience is for this camera. And what they've done, the G10 was a 14-megapixel camera, and the G11 is a 10-megapixel camera. And so this is, I think, a pretty significant step that they've lowered the number of megapixels. And the reason why they did that is because they know with fewer megapixels, you have higher image quality. And so with that, with, with that lowering of the megapixels, you've got better low light sensitivity. And they coupled that with a fast lens, which means the lens lets in a lot of light. It's a 2.8 to 4.5 lens aperture. And so um, it's going to have much better low light performance and it's going to, in, in, you know, optically, as well as the sensor. So those combined together are going to be a good combination. And it has a lot of other options like a swivel LCD, has a one two thousandth of a second flash sync, which means um, you can use your flash at a very high shutter speed, which is important for when you're doing fill flash on a sunny day. And also a nice little feature it has a built-in neutral density filter, which actually can lower the light by three stops. So if it's really bright out, uh, and it's too bright to use that flash even so you can add in your neutral density filter to lower the amount of light that's coming into the camera. It also lets you shoot raw. And one of the interesting things I noted was that, uh, that it didn't have high def video. Yeah, that is which, a... is... which is sort of like the everyday thing that you're sort of expecting these days. Every new generation of camera to have high def video. It has standard def video. Yeah, the G11 looks like a good... Maybe very good camera, but it is completely baffling, total failure that it's not shooting at least 720 video, you know, so many 200 and $300 
point and shoots are doing that now. This is going to be a $499 list price camera. That it's doing standard dev video is total failure time on Canon's part. I don't know what the heck they were thinking. Well, I'm thinking that if it, if it shoots, I mean, it's rated for ISO 80 to 3200 and actually goes up to 12,800. I'm thinking that if it shoots at 1600 to 3200 nicely for a, uh, for a compact camera, that's going to be the selling point right there for a lot of people. I think more people are going to care about it being a performance camera than a video camera. And that's where I think they're hedging their bets on that. Most people, um, yeah, most serious amateurs who have DSLRs are looking for a really high-quality compact camera that's going to get them their good image quality. All right. So, so you, you liked the G11 interested you the, interested you the most from Canon's oh, yeah. newest announcements. I'm more interested in the PowerShot S90. I'm going to tell you why. You asked me why. I said, we'll save it for the show, right? <laughs> yeah. I had the G series in many of its iterations. I had the G5 and I had the G7. Now, the G5, I believe, went back to the days before there was such a thing. You're sitting down right now, Michael, right? Yeah, yeah. Before the day of the DSLR. The yeah. G5 was sort of the high end you can get in digital cameras that allowed you to have manual control of things like, you know, exposure and shutter speed that you didn't see in other digital cameras back then. It had the swivel LCD. I loved it. Um, it's, it's a midsize camera. It's not pocketable, um, but it's not as bulky as a DSLR even back then. And uh, I progressed, I think, through at least one or two other iterations of the G series. Once I started using a DSLR and loving it, um, I did want a second camera, but I wanted a camera that was pocketable because if it was an occasion where I wanted the best pictures, I would take my DSLR. If I didn't feel like schlepping the DSLR, I wanted something that I didn't have to worry that I'd get tired carrying it around or I needed a separate case for it, whatever. So for me, having a DSLR, if I'm going to buy a second camera, I don't want another camera that's so big that I can't just throw it in a pocket and not worry about it because, you know, I'll just take my DSLR then. So I'm interested in this other new camera, the S90 from Canon, which does incorporate a lot of the features of the G11, the better sensor, the better low-life performance. It is a compact camera that lets you shoot raw, and I don't know of too many others that do. Pretty simple, basic design. Doesn't, again, have the high-def video, which is killer to me. I can't figure out what the hell they're thinking. Um, but what it does have, and this I love, I mean, this I think is great, is it has a lens control ring that you can turn and it will change camera settings or functions just like in the old days or in the case of zoom like a dslr so basically you program the camera you tell it what you want it to do when you turn the lens barrel and you can use your lens barrel to zoom to turn it to zoom in and out just like it's a pretty, no, it's a a pretty cool and yeah so that's one of those those things where i go that could be really cool or that could be gimmicky the question is is it good um, the zoom part's pretty neat because it, it will go to all your favorite zoom levels. It'll click over to like 35, 50, 85, whatever, 105, you know, whatever those numbers are. Right. So it's not the smooth stepped zoom of a DSLR lens, but it's a lot more natural to me than those stupid zoom buttons that, you know, you press to slowly zoom in and out with other point and shoots and don't feel to me like really using a camera. Or you yeah. could use it to change the aperture opening or, you know, set it to change the shutter speed. So I like that. It's kind of old school. So that's why I would prefer the S90 oh, no. for me at this I, point I, than the G11. The G11 is probably a better camera with more use. But if I'm going to bring something big that I can't just throw in my pocket, I'll just bring my DSLR. No, I totally agree yeah. that I'd want that. I'm also interested in this S90 as well because it is very small. And the lens is um, even faster than the G11. Right. It's a f2.0. Right. Instead of 2.8. I know, that's so 4.9. And so it's, uh, it's a little slower on the zoomed in end. But on the telephoto end, I mean, on the uh, wide angle end, it's 2.0, which is pretty nice. Yeah, so, and you know, the um, other thing that I like about it, which I mentioned, but 
you can't overestimate the importance is it's a point and shoot, like all point and shoots. There's going to be compromises with the quality of your picture, but it's one of the very few that will let you shoot in RAW. So you'll have compromises, but being able to shoot in RAW gives you so much more of an ability to, you know, increase the dynamic range and to make up for noise and do all the other adjustments you'd want to do. Adjust your white balance, all yeah, these things later. Yeah, I mean, it really, it, it, if you're willing to put the digital darkroom time in, it addresses so many of the compromises of a point and shoot that it's a fantastic thing to have for the serious photographer. So I think this is going to be the uh, pocket shooter for the uh, DSLR user. That's how they should sell it. All right. When you don't want to bring your DSLR, bring the S90. Canon, if you use that logo, <laughs> that'll be $250,000, please. Excellent. But that, but we're not going to make any money because I don't think Canon's going to pay us for that idea. So no. why don't we make money <laughs> by taking a break? Excellent. Let's take a break. Okay, well, it's fun to talk about gear. We could do it forever. But um, we also, every once in a while, in, in addition to buying new things or lusting for new things, we actually take pictures. We do once in a while. Crazy, I've been right? taking I've been taking a lot of photos lately. All right. It's been a huge month for me. So let's talk about – this is August. Um, it's a sunny month, and there will be a lot of sunny days through August and September, uh, October, depending on where – you live in the world. So let's talk about how to take better pictures on a sunny day. Do you want to get started or shall I? You can start. Okay. I will start with um, you want to your, – your problem with a sunny day is while everybody looks at that beautiful blue sky and thinks it's the perfect time to take the picture, in fact, it's a really difficult time to take a good picture because the light is so harsh and you get so many – shadows that your camera cannot see all of the dynamic range that your eyes can. So there tend to be a lot of portions that are too bright or too dark or both for your camera to capture. And digital cameras are not even as good as film cameras at capturing dynamic range. And they're way worse than your eye. Your eye can see much more of a gradient between light and dark than your digital camera can. So as nice as a sunny day looks, uh, maybe you don't want to take your pictures when the sun is at its highest and when everything is yeah. brightest. It's Get also up. when the sun the sun is actually a, what they call hard light. It's really this small point of light. It's not diffuse. It's not diffuse at all, and it's very and so because it's this very tiny source. Um, it, it creates these harsh shadows. Now, since you can't get a 900 million mile diffuser to place over the sun, hmm. wait for nature's diffuser. Wait for the clouds to pass overhead. If you're photographing a landscape or a person, they'll look better in the diffused light that comes through the cloud. And of course, the other advice that's always given to photographers, which sometimes it's hard to do schedule-wise, is to take your pictures early in the morning after sunrise or right before sunset, when the light is softer, is more natural, you have less contrast, and you'll get uh, a, a, a more condensed range of tones in your picture, which sometimes when you look at it with your eyes, isn't quite as striking, but will photograph much better. So Another, another way to go is to um, use your flash. And uh, I was just out in Massachusetts. My nephew was, uh, was in the World Series um, one of these Little League World Series games. And I shot out on a sunny day, and I used my flash for a fill. And it really made a huge difference. Um, throwing that light in there fills in those shadows. And so it just made a huge difference in when, you know, nice even exposure on the faces. You know, I just realized I'm looking... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, looking, I'm looking at the mat. You put everybody's name on who should talk about what. So now it's my turn. Well, if you want to talk. I don't know this next thing. Can you talk about this? Well, you <laughs> – I put your name next to this because you put it in canon speak. <laughs> yeah, but, you, but you, you're, you're more technical than I am. Explain how you can use aperture priority to, uh, to help the flash take a better picture outdoors. But um, So basically what your, your notes say um, – is to use aperture priority and use a tighter shutter, you know, use a shutter with a higher number to make a close down your shutter or stop down. And it will 
force the flash with a slow shutter speed, and so you'll have a lo um, longer exposure. Which will give you more balance uh, in your light between your foreground and your background. Yeah. Or so. if you have a flash or a camera that lets you adjust the output, which most do, I think even most point-and-shoots do, um, you can dial down the amount of flash. So you don't want to set your flash on automatic always if you're shooting outdoors. If you can manually set the flash and dial it down a little bit, a couple of stops, you'll yeah. generally get better results. Because you're not, you're not using your flash to be the illumination source. You're just using it to fill in the darkest of the shadows. Yes. And reduce that contrast that we were saying is a problem. Okay, so... And the next thing I do is I, uh, I shoot HDR. Now, this is not necessarily... I don't do this so much with people so much, but it's like if I have a landscape, um, it's something I quite often do in my landscapes. Uh, recently so so wait, I let's, let's back this up mm -hmm. a little bit. You, you go to HDR when what you want to capture is too large to use your flash to fill in the shadows. It's 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. There ain't a cloud in the sky. You can't dial down the sun. We haven't figured out a way to do that, right? So you don't have a way to manipulate the light. So HDR is a way to get a better result when you are shooting in that bright, harsh light. Now go ahead. <laughs> okay, so, 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 the, so the HDR means high, dyna high dynamic range, and it's basically where you have lots of lights and lots of really darks, and you're trying to get them all. And often cameras, our cameras, digital cameras especially, uh, can't capture all of that very, very effectively. And so what will happen is I'll get the nice shadow area, but the sky will be all white. And, you know, I don't really want a white sky. I want a nice blue sky. And so you have to really adjust. You want to sort of photograph for the lights and the darks. And we're not going to get too much into HDR in this episode here. But, um, but the idea is that you take a bracketed set of exposures of lights and darks and, full, and regular exposure. I usually shoot five exposures. And then later on use software to combine those exposures and... Uh, and depending on how you do it, it can blend very nicely, and you get your blue skies, and you get your shadowy areas with all with, with, with rich detail. And this is a technique that was done even before the term HDR was used. People always, you know, would underexpose an image, overexpose an image, and then layer them in something like Photoshop, you know, and erase out one or the other so that you have the best of both worlds. HDR software makes it easier. Like Michael says, big topic, Google it if you don't know what it is. One of the fun things about HDR is that you can use it to create a naturalistic picture where you just get a broader dynamic range, but it looks pretty natural. Or you can use it to create, you know, almost abstract pop art 3D effects that look bizarre and manipulated, but can be very artistic, um, on Scott Kelby's I was just going to mention well, that. You, you can, then you say it. Go ahead. No, no. Uh, and on on um, Scott Kelby's blog, where he uh, highlighted Landia's photo, he mentioned, he mentioned he showed one photo that was for an HDR photo. It was actually in your area, right? In the, um, the, I didn't read the it. The arcade. I don't remember. Uh, it's um, inside of a mall. And... Um, and it's, he said, this is the nicest natural looking HDR. Right. And then here's another one. He says, this one's a little over the top, but I like it anyway. Right. So be be best use of HDR to create a realistic, naturalistic effect and best use of HDR to, for, for abstract purpose. And you can see them both on that same page that you'll see Landia's beautiful painted effect photo. And we'll link to that on Scott's photo blog. Um, if, so, you know, talking about HDR, we were, uh, talking about what you can do, uh, when you can't manipulate the light, uh, some other things you can do, especially if shooting a landscape is to use filters, um, either a neutral density filter, which, uh, just lets less light into the camera, um, or a polarizing filter, which you can control a circular uh, polarizing filter, you can kind of dial in the effect that will not only lessen the amount of light you get in, but will also reduce the glare uh, and also enhance the contrast in, of certain colors. Uh, the polarizing filters, famously, you use them for sky photos because they make the clouds whiter and the sky bluer. 
And uh, yeah, they do, they also ref, they also remove ref, certain re types of reflections, right? Pol polarized light reflections. So if you're shooting a lake with beautiful stones at the bottom, if you shoot it without the filter, you'll just get the sun bouncing the surface off of the water. The, the water. If you shoot it with a polarizing filter, it cuts through that reflection and glare, and you'll see the lake and the beautiful stones. Polarizing filters are very very effective and nice. Um, and this is the the neutral density filter or the polarizing filter, they're very, very helpful in these bright conditions when you want to shoot water that is moving so that you can use a shower, a shower, hello, a slower shutter speed. You see my, my word maker is broken, Michael. <laughs> um, you can use a slower shutter speed so you can capture the uh, picture at, a, at a, a, a speed that lets the water be seen as silky and, you know, blending together as opposed to a fast shutter speed where it just looks like frozen droplets in the air. Uh, they are good filters to have if you're a serious landscape user in your bag. The other the other kind of filter is the, um, it's called the graduated neutral density filter. And what that is, is a filter that is darker, it's usually darker on one side than the other side. And so it's, and it gets lighter. So it starts off dark on one side and then it gets lighter and lighter and lighter as it goes towards the middle of the frame. And uh, there are different variations of these neutral density graduated filters. But the idea is that um, you want to reduce the light coming in for, let's say, the sky, which is usually brighter, versus the, the, the land, which is darker. And so uh, what you want to do is um, try to even out the exposure some. And that's how people did it before there was digital. Now people are just shooting HDR. And I'll just take five shots and combine them later. Yeah, I remember, Michael, when I think this is when you and I were on our um, photo a workshop workshop together where the um, photographer, the professional, I don't remember which one, um, said to us, you know, I have these neutral density graduated filters. I use them, but you know what? Moving forward, I don't really think I'm going to use them anymore. I think I'll just take two shots and sandwich them together. It's easier. <laughs> yeah. Um, it if it you're really is. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it really is a lot easier in software. If if you're savvy with software and you've got a tripod or a monopod, it's a lot easier to sandwich it later. If you are at the time of the day where the sun is not directly overhead, it's 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, um, but it is sunny, stand with the sun behind you when you are taking your photo. The frontal lighting that is going to fall on your subject will give you the best saturation, uh, the bluest skies, and the most pleasing tones. Uh, you don't want that sun in front of you. Uh, that creates all kinds of glare problems. And uh, Well, I, uh, I'm going to take it the other way. Problems. Sometimes I make a point of actually having the sun in front of me, but also having it where the, it, the sun is behind the subject. And strong backlighting obviously can create some silhouetting, but what it can also do is create what's called rim lighting, where you have light so it, your subject actually kind of glows around the edges of the subject. Well, and what you then do is add a fill flash to fill in, light up the subject a little bit more, or a reflector or something like that. And if you can get, you know, if you have some sort of lighting for the front as well, then the subject won't be uh, just all dark. Um, but then you can have some cool rim lighting as a nice effect. Yes. And that's, you know, that's in the, uh, that comes under the all rules are made to be broken. You know, it's, it's, I guess the, 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 the best way to put it would have been be aware of what effect you're going to get Yeah, <laughs> based on where the sun is in relation to you and your subject and what you're trying to achieve in general for most shots. If you, you know, are not going to use the fill light, if you're looking or the subject is too big, you know, you're shooting a building or a mountain and your flash ain't going to make any difference. Um, you want that sun behind you, but put it in front of you. Like Michael says, if you're looking for the rim light or for that matter, if you want to get a silhouette, which can sometimes be exactly what you want to capture. Yeah. Especially with somebody who's in very good shape, but doesn't have a pretty face. Just <laughs> shoot them in silhouette, right? <laughs> Always shoot to your subject's best. I, I look better actually in silhouette from very, very far <laughs> away. It's, it's true. So I know you, you've seen me, so you know of what I speak. <laughs> All right. Now, when you are shooting in these conditions, when it is sunny and the uh, 
the sky is bright and unforgiving, one of the things that suffers the most is not just your pictures, but your ability to chimp. Does every, do, you, do you know what that expression means? Yeah, it's when uh, you look down at your camera and look at the LCD. Right, to review. Some people, like I, I watch some photographers and they take a picture and they, they chimp. They chimp everything, they take right? After every photo. Right. I'm like, wow. You know, I t- I, what I do is I take a couple photos and I check things. And once I know that I'm like, my exposure is pretty good, I, I start trusting things. You know, I, I go oh, from course. there. But you know, be, be honest. You were a film shooter back in the day when you got your first digital camera. So the first time you could chimp in your life, how much did you chimp? <laughs> oh, I'm sure I did plenty, and that's that's a huge l- way of, of learning. Yep, is to uh, it, constantly get feedback. I, I remember, you know, back in the day, spending more time looking at my pictures than actually taking them. But on a sunny day, um, you may not be able to see your LCD. Most of them will wash out in bright light. Better LCDs can tolerate more bright light. They'll all eventually wash out. The new technology we were talking about in in the last show, this OLED technology, won't be as susceptible to washing out, but that's not on cameras yet. So your ability to chimp can be adversely affected in bright light. You also, even if you don't want to chimp with some cameras, the only way you can change your settings or know if you've changed your settings is by looking at the LCD, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of cameras totally depend on that big screen. So even if you're not just looking at your shots, um, which is, you know, can, can be a little bit uh, a little bit of an annoying behavior, um, you know, changing the settings is certainly a valid thing to do at all times. And if you can't see the screen, you can't change your settings. So be sensible about that. Stand with your back to the light and use your head as a shade. Um, you can do sort of the makeshift burqa where you take a t-shirt or a jacket, whatever you have handy, put it over your head and uh, shade yourself that way. There are also accessory hoods and shades that you can clip onto your camera. Uh, There are things like the Hoodman, which makes a flip-up LCD, which attaches to the back of your, mainly your DSLR, where you can, you know, flip up this little assembly that creates a little bit of a three-sided shade for your LCD. Scott Kelby raves about something called the Hoodman Loop. This is a more expensive uh, and, uh, in some ways, more uh, more feature-filled solution. This is like a jeweler's loop, you know, that you, that in the yeah, movies they would it- use to kind of look at a diamond, right, to see the facets. Um, it, 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 now it's listing at about 70 bucks. Um, so you wear this around your neck, but it's not a loop to study a diamond. It's a loop that is the right size. You have to buy it the right size to fit over your LCD. So you hold it between your camera and your LCD. It seems like a lot of work to get just the effect of being able to see your LCD screen better because of the light. Um, and if you're using it, if you want to use it to change settings, I'd imagine it'd be very hard to do. Is, is this something that like you just put up to like when you have like a little loop, you just you just sort of bring it right up to the LCD or is it something that attaches to the back of your camera? You wear it. I mean, what, you can carry it or you can wear it around your neck like a jeweler's loop. OK, so you just wear it around your neck and just sort of put it up as you need to. You know, like the villain in um, old movies would wear the monocle around his neck. Yes. Yeah. You wear this. Ah. Um, so. You know, it's a little bulky. Uh, Scott loves it. I always trust Scott. You know, one of the nice things about it is it certainly gives you a much better um, view than a shade will because, you know, it, it creates a tight seal that lets in no light. But it also magnifies the image so that you can check your focus at a critical level, which can be very helpful, too. I think about it, though, you know, if you wanted to use that to see the screen better to change settings... I think you need one more hand, right? Because you need one hand to hold the camera, one hand to hold yeah. the loop, and then it's another a, hand with the settings. It's an awkward, it's an awkward situation yeah. for the, these cameras. Yeah. So, and, you know, it's, it's a high-end product. It's about 70 bucks, like I say. Those flip-up hoods, I'll, I'll try to link to some in the show notes. Um, they can go for 15 bucks. So, um, 
it's cheaper, probably more useful, but you know, Scott Kelby's kind of my god in this area. So <laughs> since he likes the Hoodman loop, look into it. But it, it's kind of specialized. And what's the easiest yeah, I, what's the easiest way to create a little bit of shade so you could see your L C D? Well, you could uh, wear a hat. Wear a hat. Wear a big <laughs> wide brimmed hat, like Barbara Streisand and Hello Dolly. Either a guy or girl or mini shade, you know, one of those big or a sombrero. Some you will look hero. dashing yeah. and you will create your own, your own shade. Bring your own shade. B-Y-O-S. Or just don't go outside. That's true. Take you all your shots indoors. You won't have any of these problems. Problem. What was that? You won't have any of these problems. No, you won't. But you won't get as many nice pictures. Not on a sunny day. All right. So we have given you some of our tips for taking better pictures on sunny days. If you have any you would like to add, uh, why don't you join in on the conversation for these show notes for this episode, which is number 16, if you've forgotten, on scottsphotoblog.com. Uh, anything else you want to say about shooting on a sunny day, Michael, other than no. stay inside? <laughs> no. I think uh, we've covered it. I think we've covered it too. So why don't you tell people where on the wonderful World Wide Web they can find us? Sure. Feel free to write us at digitalphotographylife at gmail.com. You can find the show on iTunes, or you can also find it on at photography.personallifemedia.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash dplife. And of course, there's scottsphotoblog.com. And we also have actually have a digitalphotographylife.com. And there's dplife.smugmug.com where you can find our photos there. Is there anything on digital? We, we bought the name. Is there anything on it? On I've, just been, I've, I've, just been, I've just been putting the show post, the blog post. It has uh -huh. links to your site. Okay. So, you know, and, uh, and to the Smug Mug site as well. So all of these sites just create a great big circle and link to each other. That's yeah, good. and the Personal Life Media site. It's got a link to all those things that we just talked about. It's like a perpetual circle of digital photography life. And has a, has a Twitter feed on it, so you can see the, the latest Twitter posts or tweets. Yes, such as they are. We have to get Landy to start tweeting. Actually, she said she's going to be doing that. She again. did? Yeah. She, because she, you know, she'll post and tweet all kinds of interesting stuff. Oh, yeah. She's definitely she's <laughs> on a top of that. Yeah. And, and uh, we can't do everything, can we? I don't think so. I know I can't. No, I can't either. But you can do more than me. <laughs> well, it all depends. Well, I just say that to be nice. So... <laughs> Thank you all for being nice. We really appreciate your support. And uh, to the vast majority of you who have welcomed back after – to welcomed us back. God, I can't talk. To those of you who have welcomed us back, made us feel so welcome, so appreciated um, with our last episode. It really does mean a lot to us. Your um, feedback and support, getting to know you guys through email and Facebook, uh, other venues. It, it's what makes this fun, right? Well, it's, yeah, it is. It makes all the difference. And next week, I think we're going to have another interview. I can't tell you with whom yet because I haven't worked out the details, but hopefully um, with a real photographer, a pro, with some hints and tips to improve your photography. But until then, keep shooting, and we'll see you again soon. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs>